and uh, uh, Pastor Whalen was there, and uh, I ended up reading a lot of his books later. But they, I didn't know where to go or what to do, but they had a wonderful potluck and fellowship, and it was really nice. The nice thing about being an Adventist is you can go anywhere in the world and meet other Adventists. They're your family. And, and I was speaking at a church in um, St. Vincent in the West Indies, and I felt like the members of the church were more and closer to being family members than my own family because I'm the only Adventist in my family. So I really appreciate having a church family wherever I go. And uh, I think one of the funniest stories, and I've told you this before, but I was traveling in France, and I went up to a vegetable stall, and they have all these little uh, shops in Paris in the Latin Quarter, and there was a man selling vegetables, and he was smiling and happy, and he, um, most of the French are not, they don't smile a lot, especially around Americans, because we're not very popular. But this guy was smiling and was happy, and uh, I looked at his face, and his skin tones were like that of a baby. He was about 35 or 40 years old, but he had really nice skin tones, and he looked really cheerful. And I spoke to him in English, which is something you don't want to do when you're in France because English is like you know dragging your fingernails on a chalkboard to a Frenchman. And so anyway, I spoke to him in English, and I said, uh, you're a Seventh-day Adventist, aren't you? And he goes, like, how did you, he answered me in English, and he said, how did you know I was a Seventh-day Adventist? And I said, well, you looked really calm and cheerful and pleasant, and you have really good skin tones, so you haven't been drinking a lot like all the other <laughs> Frenchmen have. Because after you drink a long time, you start getting, I mean, you, you can tell your skin sags. and Or smoking, yeah, you, you, you age much more quickly. You didn't have a, a big beer belly or a wine belly. And um, you, I think you can really spot Seventh-day Adventists wherever you go. Mrs. White said we're supposed to be a peculiar people, and I really think we are. Uh, I went into Home Depot to pick up an order. I order online, and then I go and pick up. Because I get lost when I go to Home Depot. I mean, I can wander around in there for hours. I don't know where anything is. So I order online. I go to pick it up, and I go in there about every two or three weeks to get something. And... The lady at the counter, she talks to me and she goes, you're a dentist, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And she goes, you know, we were just talking about you before you came in because you're always so calm and peaceful and you never get upset. When we don't have your order, you don't get mad at us like everybody else does. And you say, oh, that's okay. I'll come back in a week or two and you'll probably have it by then. And she said, you know, you're really nice and, and to us and we appreciate it. And Christ said we're supposed to be the light of the world wherever we go so that people, when they work with us, they say, you know, you're really different or unusual. And I had a student say that the other week. I've never met anybody like you before who was trying to be so helpful. I usually stay for an hour or so after work every day and try to help the students. But uh, we're supposed to be the light of the world. Well, I want to summarize our, our sermon today in about two minutes here, so you can, uh, if you're like me, I, I hate to say this, but um, sometimes I fall, I sit in the back row and I fall asleep sometimes because I usually have really busy weeks, but here's the summary so you can get it before I put you to sleep. Okay. First of all, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved Amen. except by Christ. Now, you know, I think I have and we've all tried different ways of finding happiness, and they just don't work. Uh, I used to race bicycles and motorcycles and all sorts of things, and all I have to show for all those is broken bones and worn out joints and stuff, and it really doesn't do a lot for you in the long run. And now, also, the glory, Christ is constantly working and speaking with us and guiding us. And so the glory of God has been manifest 
is being manifest and will be manifest through Christ. And that's something, a promise that is given for each and every one of you. This, it was not like Christ came and healed a few lepers when he was back there 2,000 years ago. I feel he's still working with us on a daily basis. Um, now, the other thing that astonished me as I was reading in Patriarchs and Prophets, and God is always changing course, making corrective action to deal with our mistakes. And that's reassuring to me, and I'll talk more about that later. Well, he, Christ is blessing us, and why does he bless us? He loves us, right. And what purpose does he expect from us, from all these blessings? To bless, to bless others. Thank you so much. There's my sermon right there. Now we can all go home. Well, almost. <laughs> so, um, but we have to be really careful because it's very easy to make mistakes. It's very easy. Now, I want to, I've been reading in Patriarchs and Prophets, and I am astonished by the things I read here. I, I think I read parts of this 20 or 30 years ago, but it, it kind of goes over your head. As we get older, our, the way we think changes, and we see things very differently with the experience of age. The world looks different after you've had a little experience. And I remember when I was about this big, my father was a civil engineer, and he worked for a big engineering company, and, and he sat down and he told me about all the wonderful dams and the bridges and the nuclear power plants, all these things that his company was building, and he was really proud of them. And he, I, was, I was impressed. He showed me pictures and drawings and stuff of the things that his company had built and tunnels, and it was really impressive. Then about 40 years later, when he was 80 years old, and was retired, he sat down and he told me about all the bridges that collapsed and the dams that burst and the electric power plants that never made any electricity and the nuclear power plants that melted down. And I was astonished by the contrast between his enthusiasm of youth, relative youth, and his caution when he got older because he is company and him and all engineers had made a lot of mistakes along the road and they'd learn from them. And so I think we really need to be careful as Christians that we don't make mistakes. Now, um, I wanna read how, a little bit from Patriarchs and Prophets, how Christ is blessing us. And all of these revelations of the divine presence, the glory of God was manifested through Christ. Not alone as the Savior's, not alone at the Savior's advent, but through all the ages after the fall and the promise of redemption, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Christ was the foundation and the center of the sacrificial system both in the patriarchal and the Jewish age. Since the sin of our first parents, there's been no direct communication between God and man. The Father had given the world unto the hands of Christ that through his mediatorial work, he may redeem man and vindicate the authority and holiness of the law of God. Now, how... When we accept Christ's forgiveness for our sins and when he gives us the power to obey, how do we vindicate the law of God? How do we vindicate in our own lives the, the character of God? The way we live. Exactly, by the way that we live. We show our gratitude for uh, the blessings we receive by obeying him and being a blessing to others. Now, I was talking to a pastor at a big Adventist conference once, and I told him, you know, that it's important that we obey the law. Uh, and he said, oh, just a minute, you are in error because that's righteousness by works. Well, I beg to differ. I, I don't, my works don't justify me. 
they demonstrate that I'm grateful for God's blessings. In other words, we obey not in the hope that we're going to get a reward, but because we show gratitude. Without gratitude, we can accomplish nothing. We're just obeying rules. We're just following procedures and guidelines. And, and that works for a little while, but when pr the pressure's on, it stops working. I teach at the dental school, and we teach students guidelines, procedures. If the blood pressure is over 180, uh, you can only do emergency procedures on a patient. If the hemoglobin is below five, we can't work on them until they get a transfusion. We teach them all, their gui all these guidelines. And frequently, patients come in who are outside the guidelines. And the students go, oh, we can't work on you because you're outside the guidelines. Okay. Now, and I, when that happens, I talk to the students and I go, you're not a technician, you're a doctor. Your job isn't to read the rule book and decide who qualifies. Your job is to solve the problem. Okay, what are you going to do to help this patient? And I mean, we've, we have people that come in in wheelchairs that are on 32 medications. And they go to other dentists, they go, no, no, we can't work on you, you're too sick. And I, I had a patient like that a couple of years ago, and I was really kind of worried. This guy, I mean, there's like three pages of medications and procedures he had to do. And we went through it, and I decided that everything was under control and we could work on the guy. And we ended up working on him and doing all his dental work. And so as a, as a doctor or as a dentist, we have to find a way around the problem. As a Christian, we have to find a way around um, every difficulty that comes up. And I'll give you an illustration. Um, I was weeding the garden. We have a, we put, my wife and I put in this garden, and I have never seen so many weeds growing in my life. I mean, every morning, I'll, I'll weed it in the morning, and then I go back the next morning, and the weeds are already this tall. They grow six. There was one that grew 10 inches overnight. I just, I've never seen anything like it. And I, I go out there every morning for an hour, an hour and a half for the last three weeks weeding. I get up really early before this. If you get up at 5.30 or 6 in the morning, it's still cool enough to work in the garden. So I get up really early and I weed. And I'm out there weeding away. Yesterday, my wife comes up and she starts giving advice on how to weed. And I'm digging too deep. And she says, that because you're digging the soil so much, you're creating more weeds. And I got kind of upset by that because I, I didn't believe that that was true. I don't think digging in a garden is good. I mean, what does the farmer do when he wants to get rid of the weeds? He plows the soil and turns it over to get rid of the weeds. So I got kind of upset with her, and I said a few, you know, not very pleasant words to her. And she was kind of, you know, put back by that. And she went back inside. And so I had to go back inside about an hour later when I was done and apologize to her. I said, I'm sorry I got upset with you. I, I shouldn't have said that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's um, entirely my fault. Now, that's not, that doesn't come very easily. Saying you're sorry is not something that comes naturally. Because in any situation, usually both sides are a little right, both sides are a little bit wrong. But as a Christian, we have to assume responsibility to make the situation right. Especially as a husband. You have to be usually the one, husbands, usually have to be the ones to apologize and say you're sorry. If your wife comes to you and says she's sorry, that's a warning sign that maybe you're not letting things, you're not controlling things the way you should as a husband. Um, we, my, my wife and I went to the airport. We we're flying to Greece. We got invited by the Ambassador General of the Republic of China to go to Greece. And so it was a big deal for us. And we get to the airport, my wife takes out her passport and the passports expired. They wouldn't let us on the plane. I mean, like, we were really, I was like, and so we called the ambassador and said we're going to be about two days late because we have to get a new passport. 
And I said, my wife's passport has expired. And the ambassador said to me, and whose fault is that? <laughs> Meaning, it was my fault. I should have checked that out, out before we got anywhere near the airport. In other words, we have to, whatever your position, you have to take responsibility. You have to be in charge. I mean, as a husband, you do. As a mother with your children, you, you have to do. But we're all responsible. We have to, we have to take charge. Well, um, let's continue here. Now, it says in here, all the communication between heaven and fallen earth had been through Christ. All communication had been through Christ. Now, that's a very startling statement to say because, you know, I've listened to Buddhists and Taoists and Confucianists and people, Hindus, people of other religion, and they claim that they, in fact, I have friends who are Buddhist, and they tell me, you can become a Buddha. You can become divine yourself. And, and I think, boy, if you only knew me better, you wouldn't say that. You know? and, and they really believe that. They really believe that each person can become their own little Buddha, their own little God. Although they, don't believe, they say they don't really believe in God, but you can sort of become like God. Or you, know, you can become a God. And when I hear these things, I get a little bit baffled because I've been trying to change myself by myself my whole life. I mean, I was born ignorant, lazy, selfish. I mean, all those things that, that the way that we are by nature. And, I'm, and I realized that a long time ago. And I, I mean, trying to, how do you make yourself not selfish? I mean, it's a real struggle. You can try doing nice things for other people, but it gets mechanical after a while. And it's not rewarding. So fixing yourself, changing the leopard spots doesn't work all that well. Now, so we make a lot of mistakes, especially when we take matters into our own hands. Now, I, I read something, this in Patriarchs and Prophet. And this really knocked me down when I read this. She writes, if man had kept the law of God as given to Adam. Now, wait a minute. I thought the law of God was given to Moses a couple thousand years after Adam. No, she says, if man had kept the law of God as given to Adam after his fall, and preserved by Noah, observed by Abraham, then there would have been no necessity for the ordinance of circumcision. Remember, God asked Abraham to, to get circumcised. And if the descendants of Abraham had kept the covenant of which circumcision was the sign, they would never have been seduced into idolatry, nor would it have been necessary for them to suffer a life of bondage in Egypt. Now that kind of astonished me. God never intended that there, was, that there would be circumcision or that he'd have to make a covenant with Abraham or that the people of, e of Israel would go into captivity in Egypt. If they had kept the law as originally given to Adam, they would not have had to go through all these things. They would have kept the law of God in mind, and there would have been no necessity for it to be proclaimed from Sinai. In other words, he had to remind them of the law of God at Sinai because they had forgotten it. Or engraved it upon tablets of stone, and had the people practiced the principles of the Ten Commandments, there would have been no need for the additional directions, the Levitical laws given to Moses. Now I read that and I was stunned by that because I look at my own life and I see all the mistakes that I've made and the blunders and the things that didn't work. And I look at all that and I go, 
you know, it sounds like I just read that. And God didn't want me or any of you to go all through all these, a lot of these trials, but sometimes we go through them because we've forgotten what God was teaching us. We've forgotten his laws, his instructions, his commandments. And every time we do that, we end up kept in captivity in Egypt, or we, we end up in some difficulty. And God never wants that for us. He wants us if, to, to obey him and to lead a much better life. And I look back at my life, and I couldn't help but wonder after I read that, and I thought, what if I had heard the message 20 years earlier? And I could have avoided all those trips down to Egypt. You know, that's a really sobering thought. So I think we all need to think about how, how can we better understand and obey God's laws. I think there's somewhere in the Bible where it says, it speaks of people who are not Christians, but it says the law is written in their hearts. And in the New Covenant, it says, the Lord says in the book of Hebrews, I will write the law on your hearts. Now, our goal then must be to write the law of God in our hearts so that we are just, it's, it's a part of the way that we work and we think. And is that possible? What do you think? For, for the law to be written in our hearts. Okay. Okay, good. Exactly. Now, an, another thing that, that's really good news is you said your conscience bothers you. Well, who is it that's speaking to you? The Holy Spirit. And who, how did we come about receiving the Holy Spirit? When did we receive the Holy Spirit? When was it promised to us? When we believe and we accept. But when was... When did, remember what Christ said? It's, he said, it's better that I go, because if I go, then the divine comforter will come to you. And that's, he was saying that's even better than when I'm here, because the Holy Spirit can be everywhere. He can be with all of us and guide each and every one of us. And I think that's really good news, too, because no matter what you're doing, you're going to find yourself in situations where you have to deal with difficult people and you're going to have to know what to say and do to help them and be a blessing to them. And the Holy Spirit, and I, and I speak from personal experience, can guide and lead you to know how to deal with difficult people. And believe me, I have to deal with a lot of difficult people. The most difficult person I have to deal with is the one that I look and see in the mirror every morning when I shave. And, you know, the, you know, a lot of times I'll pray, and I'll, pr I'll be praying for something. Oh, Lord, please give me this. Please do this for me. And he'll just say to me, so, do you really think that's a good idea? You know, and so he, he kind of stops me in my tracks sometimes. But I was stunned when I, when I read how he... Ellen White wrote, if man had kept the law of God, he would have avoided all of these new covenants or additional covenants and tablets of stone and trips to Egypt. That was never God's intention. In fact, he had to give the Ten Commandments to Israel twice. Shortly after they got it, they, they uh, built a golden calf and they completely apostatized. Now, I also have found, and this is the thing that, that makes me really grateful to be a Christian, is that God is blessing us constantly. And can any of you think of an example where, where Christ has, has really blessed you, 
way and beyond what you expected or thought you deserved. Any of you have any stories or experiences that you've had? Well, and I agree. That's a that's a wonderful example. I mean, when I look at how strange and wonderful we are made, I'm astonished by it. I mean, I, I all the, I mean, life is a series of problems that we have to solve, one after the other. And if you're in the, I I think if if we look back at our lives, all of us. Have stories like that. Tell us. Um, Thank God. Right and, Amen. What does the Bible say? I am the Lord who heals thee. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Your dad. Was it still smoking the car? The engine was cold when you got there? It was cold? I, I remember taking my car to the mechanic once to have him work on it. And I wanted him to work on it right away. And he goes, no, I can't. It's too hot. I have to wait about two hours for it to cool off before I can work on the exhaust manifold. Well, and, it I mean, was a miracle. And I know God helped us and God protected us. And I could give that testimony, but I lived that testimony. Well, that, that's a wonderful story. I think that, that those things like that happen to us a lot more than we realize, but sometimes we're not even aware of it. And, you know, you've heard the story of, of there's this poem that was written where a man is watch, walking along the beach and he looks back on his life and he sees that in the most, there's two sets of footprints most of the time. He felt like the Lord was wa walking with him, but during the hardest points of his life, there was only one set of footprints. And the man says to God, how come you weren't with me during the hardest parts? Where were you? And the Lord said, I was carrying you. So now when God blesses us, it is his hope that we will notice this and become grateful for his blessings. And once we become grateful, then I think that we will start trying to better understand his laws, tr uh, try to be a, a greater blessing to others, find out ways of helping other people. But we need gratitude is the key for Christian growth. If you're not grateful for God's blessings, you're not going to grow because you're not going to be great. You won't be grateful and you won't go the extra mile for anybody else. You won't look for the wisdom in God's word. I think I was at the, was at the Calistoga Church when Mark, uh, Pastor Fezenden was there. And he said he had a friend who went through the Bible. He was not a Christian and he found all the contradictions in the Bible. He had this notebook filled with all the errors and the contradictions in the Bible. And they would sit down and argue about you know, whether this was really a contradiction or not. But if we're grateful for God's blessings, we will look for not the contradictions, but the harmony. We have to look for harmony in the word of God. Now, sometimes it's really confusing. Um, I was at a Sabbath school class at the Exeter Church, and they were going through the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations. And there's a passage in there somewhere that says, um, and when I bring you back from Babylon and reestablish you in Israel, I will turn these women back into men. Now, some people read that and they get like really bewildered by that. And after Sabbath school, this Sabbath school teacher came up to me and goes, what on earth does that mean? Now, I've been reading Jeremiah and I really like the book of Jeremiah a lot. I kind of identify with Jeremiah because he's had so many problems. You know, I, I look back on my life walking through minefields and all sorts of things, but I kind of identify with him. So I remember reading that it said, 
when the Babylonians come to attack you, your bravest soldier will be so frightened he will quake and quail like a woman in labor. In other words, these brave men have now turned into frightened little children. Or, or in those days, women were generally not soldiers. So, he, and I, I showed this to the Sabbath school teacher. I just showed him this one passage where it says the Lord's going to turn the men into, into like pregnant women. They'll be as, as frightened as pregnant women. But when they come back, I'm going to turn them back into men. You know, the, the, the wisdom, the strength, the grace that we all have, whether it's beauty or, or helpfulness, whatever gifts you have, those are gifts from the Lord. And he will put you in a position where you can use those gifts to be a blessing to others. That's not righteousness by works. That's righteousness by faith. That's righteous, that's uh, works of gratitude. There's a big difference between righteousness by work and works of gratitude. When you're grateful, you cannot do enough to help somebody. You, or you cannot show, express your gratitude. You're always looking, it's been said, gratitude is a debt you can never repay because you're always trying to repay it. Now, let me see if uh, 364, there was one more. Passage I wanted to read here. Let me do it from memory. She says, oh, here it is. Now, God did, it says, he, that is God, did not even trust his precepts to the memory of a people who were prone to forget his requirements. In other words, who are we? We are a people that are prone to forget his requirements, but wrote them upon tablets of stone. He would remove from Israel all possibility of mingling heathen traditions with his holy precepts or of confounding his requirements with human ordinances or customs. But he did not stop with giving them the precepts of the Decalogue. The people had shown themselves so easily led astray. Are we easily led astray? I'm afraid we are. At least I know I am. That he would leave no door of temptation unguarded. In other words, God has made every provision so that it's possible for us to obey him and be faithful. He would leave no door of temptation unguarded. Moses was commanded to write, as God should bid him, judgments and laws giving ins minute instructions as to what was required on how the worship should be conducted. Gave them minute instructions. Now, and I read that and I kind of had to step back and, and going, I talk to people today and they tell me, well, you know, God doesn't deal with the nitty gritty of everyday life. He just kind of gives us some general guidelines and then we have to figure everything else out ourselves and uh, we can kind of do what we think is best as long as he didn't say we can't do it. Oh, really? Well, here it says minute instructions. These directions relating to the duty, these directions relating to the duty of the people to God, to one another, and to the stranger, were only the principles of the Ten Commandments amplified and given in a specific manner that none need err. They were designed to guard the sacredness of the Ten Precepts engraved on tablets of stone. Now, I read that, and I go, so there's principles behind the Ten Commandments? What are the principles behind the Ten Commandments? And then I started asking, well, what are the principles behind everything we do as Christians? And maybe I need to understand that a little better. I mean, when, when I first became a Christian, someone was, we were singing a hymn in church, and 
someone next to me said, no, there's, that's a beautiful message in the hymn. And I thought, there's a message in the hymn? I mean, I, you know, it's like clueless. I'd just gotten baptized. But, you know, some things you don't learn right away. <laughs> you have to kind of, you grow into them. Now, if God's giving us minute instructions on what we should do back then, does he kind of do that today? Yeah. I think he does. And he's given us instructions on how the church should be conducted. Now, what kind of frightens me is that there are now churches where it appears to me they're no longer trying to follow Christ. They're trying to improve upon his instructions and overcome the flaws and fallacies in his teachings and make his teachings more socially and politically acceptable. And that really frightens me because uh, I hear religion teachers saying that all religions are good. You know, I had just read that morning about a bombing somewhere in, in Russia. This was a few years ago. They blew up a school and all the kids in the school. And then this religion teacher tells me all religions are good. I'm going, did you read the newspaper this morning? I, I don't think all religions really are good. And, and we are not good by nature. We need, I need Christ constantly to make me a better person, to make me useful. And so let us turn constantly to Christ. I think in my, my closing, I wanted to talk about Dathan and Abiram. Now, I lost the page. Uh, but remember who Moses is? The sin of Nadab, I'm sorry, Nadab and Abihu. Who were Nadab and Abihu? They were the sons of Aaron, Aaron's sons. So you'd think that they would know what the requirements to be a priest would be. But while this service was going on and God had specified how he wanted the service to be conducted, these guys, Nadab and Abihu, and Mrs. Wrights writes that they'd had a few drinks and they were feeling pretty mellow. And they decided, hey, we're going to go to the service and, and we're going to bring our own incense. And they walked in there and that was not part of God's instructions. And what did God do to them? He put them to death. I mean, that's kind of really sober. They were just trying to help out, right? I mean, what did they do wrong? Well, they didn't follow God's instructions. And, and when I read that, it tells me, look, God, he really wants us to follow carefully his instructions. Now, how many times in the Bible have people got into trouble because they didn't follow God's instructions? What about... Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, yeah, she, kinda, she wasn't following. What about Cain and Abel? Was Cain following God? No, he brought an offering of fruit when the Lord said, bring a lamb. He wasn't following God's instructions for worship. And what about King Saul? Remember King Saul? Uh, he was waiting for one of the prophets to come to pray for the people of Israel before they went into battle, and the prophet was late, so he did it himself. Well, as the king, he didn't have the authority to do that. And the Lord swept him aside because he wasn't following instructions. And if you go through, there's a number of other examples in the Bible of people that weren't following God's instructions, especially for worship, and they get into trouble for it. So that makes me think, am I really following God's instructions? Uh, I mean, just in the last few days, I'll give you an example. It says, in the Bible, husbands love your wives. So I started thinking about, how do I show my wife that I love her? Have I done that lately? I remember after we'd been married about 10 years, my wife said, do you love me? And I said, of course I love you. I told you I loved you when we got married. How many times do I have to tell you? you know? 
Uh, so I thought, and then I, I remembered saying that, and I thought, gee, you know, and that was 10 years ago that I said that. So maybe, <laughs> so this morning when I got up, thinking about that, I told my wife that, um, I said, you know, if I lived to be 100 years old, I would never find another woman as wonderful as you are. It just wouldn't happen. And, and then I told her a story about when I got, when I got engaged to my, my wife, I took her over to meet my brother. Now, my wife is a few years younger than I am, and she, she was at that, or still is, very young and pretty. And so anyway, I introduced her to my brother, and my brother goes, Jim, what are you doing? She's a lot younger than you are. You know, what are you doing? And I said to him, I said, well, Bob, someone has to marry the young, beautiful girls. <laughs> And so my brother just goes, ooh, like this. He just was green, green with jealousy. <coughs> so, so this morning, <coughs> excuse me. I, need, I think I, could I get a glass of water or something? <coughs> so I told her that story about my brother, how he turned green with envy when I said, someone has to marry the young, beautiful girls. And she said, you know, you never told me that story before. And she goes, that's, I really like that. That's really nice. And, and then she said, um, why don't you remember that next time you get upset with me? <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, she says, you need to be grateful for, your, for the blessings you have. So anyway, I was thinking about, you know, it says in the Bible, husbands, you'll, this morning, Husbands love your wives. I mean, or, yeah. And I was thinking, how have I done that? Well, I told her I loved her 10 years ago. Well, maybe that's not enough, you know. So this morning I went and told her some stories about how beautiful she was and how grateful I was that she was my wife. And I actually am very grateful. I think I would have been dead a long time ago if it weren't for her. Do you tell her that you love me? I'm sorry? Oh, I, 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 well, t this morning I just told her this story. Yes, yes. Well, thank you. You see, there's always room for improvement. There's, there's. Okay, I, I love my, okay, I have some news for all the young men who are married or thinking about getting married. Um. When, you're, when you get married and your wife cooks you your first breakfast on the day after the wedding, it doesn't matter what she does. I mean, when we got married, my wife had not cooked American food before. She was from Trinidad. This is the first meal she's making in the United States, and the eggs were swimming in oil, and they were covered with black pepper, and I mean, and, and the toast was burned, and you know, everything wasn't quite right. She'd never used a toaster before, and she goes, how... How is it? And I go, it's just the way I like it. <laughs> and the first year, I mean, she used to make, she grew up with lots of hot spices, and she would make rice and then take the pepper and cover it so that it was black. It wasn't white anymore, it was black. And I would eat this, and my ears would turn bright red. And my wife would go, your ears are red. Why are your ears red? Oh, it's nothing. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's getting warm up. And so for the first year, I didn't say anything about her cooking because I was afraid that if I said something to discourage her, she would, she would give up. You know, she'd say, well, you cook for yourself. Now, that would be a fate worse than death for me, the way I cook. So anyway, the first year, I didn't say anything about her cooking. And after one year, she, she made something, and she said, well, how is it? And I said, well, maybe you could use just a little bit less pepper on it, just a little bit less. I mean, it's good. It's good the way it is, but, you know. So, but, and, but she's really changed her cooking over the years. She doesn't use a lot of spices anymore. Um, she's become an Adventist kind of in the way that she cooks. And we went to Bangladesh as missionaries, and 
every single time I went to eat at somebody else's house, I would get diarrhea and giardiolambia. Do you know what giardiolambia is? It's a parasite and it infects your intestines and you get it if you have contaminated water, you don't wash your hands over there and your stool turns bright yellow. I mean, it's like iridescent yellow. It's really incredible. And you have to take a flagyl, metronidazole antibiotics. And the bad thing about being in Bangladesh is that most of the antibiotics are, are locally made and they don't do anything. So I would go to the pharmacy, buy some metronidazole antibiotics, take it, nothing would happen for two days, go to another pharmacy, nothing would happen. I'd have to go to three or four pharmacies before I found an antibiotic that was really working. And the British Embassy tested the medicine there. The doctor at the British Embassy, she told me that she said 90% of the medicine they tested had no biological activity. So, you know, if you get sick in Bangladesh, you can take medicine and you can still die. Anyway, I would get really sick. I had a fever of 104.8 degrees. I was delirious. I mean, I was just, I sounded like the Mad Hatter when, I, when you're that sick. But my wife's cooking, I never got sick. She would go to the market where everybody else brought food. They had these outdoor stalls and markets, lots of flies and dogs and children running around and it was not very clean. She would come home and take the lettuce and take it apart leaf by leaf and she'd take a basin with water and put a little bit of Clorox in the water and wash every leaf in chlorinated water. And then she would put it into plastic bags with paper towels in between it so it would kind of dry. And she would wash all the oranges, all the apples. She would scrub them with soap and water and Clorox and she would boil all of our drinking water in a big pot every couple of days. She'd make four gallons of drinking water. But she was really careful. She washed her hands frequently. I never got sick when she cooked. And I always got sick when anybody else cooked in Bangladesh. And so I really think that if I hadn't been married to her, I would have been dead a long time ago. I would have died for sure. I mean, I got sick so many times over there when we would eat somewhere else that the average lifespan, unless you're rich in Bangladesh, is something like 42 years. 42? 42. You don't see people with gray hairs in Bangladesh. You don't see gray hair. Unless you're a banker or a lawyer or a, a government official and you have a really good job and you can afford to drink bottled water, but if you drink the water out of the tap, you're not gonna live very long. So, um, anyway, I, I'm really grateful for my wife because I, I really think I would have been dead a long time ago. The Lord knew exactly what I need, and she has really fastidious cleanliness habits. It, almost to the point where she doesn't want me to come in the house because I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah, so anyway, well, that's another story. But anyway, I, we, need, we need to be grateful for all of these blessings, for this fellowship, this family. I mean, I walk into this building and everybody's friendly and happy, and I don't have to, I mean, in Bangladesh, pickpockets would steal my wallet. I used to carry a wallet in Bangladesh that had no credit cards, no driver's license in it. It was just a dummy wallet with a few dollars in it. And when it was stolen, I didn't, you know, I, a pickpocket would get it. I wouldn't cry any, I wouldn't cry over it because maybe there was five or 10 or $20 in it. And so, but you know, I feel really safe here and the food is really good. I don't get sick when I eat the cooking here. I mean, this is, this is a wonderful place. And, you know, you don't appreciate that until you've lived in somewhere like Bangladesh or Vietnam or down in, in Mexico where, you, where they don't have a good water supply. So I think we're really blessed here, and I, I feel blessed by all of you. You don't, maybe you won't believe me, but I think you're all really nice people. I really am glad to be among you. This is a blessing to be here with all of you. So in summary... Let us look for God's blessings. Every day when you wake up, 
say, Lord, I want to thank you for all the times you've blessed me in the past. Think of some specific examples and then say, thank you for blessing me today and expect him to bless you. Now, that's not to say we won't have troubles. We all will. We all are going to get sick, eventually end up in the hospital and die. I mean, that's, there's no, nobody escapes off this planet alive except for, I think there's been one or two, but uh, that's the story. I mean, we are going to have troubles, but I, I still expect and receive God's blessings every day, and that makes me really, really grateful. So when you wake up in the morning, think about how God has blessed you and thank him for that, and that will cheer you up. That's one of the best cures for depression that there is, is waking up and thanking God for your blessings, and that should do it. All right, well, thank you very much. It's, um, I, my stomach is starting to rumble, so that means it's time to quit. So let's, why don't we bow our heads, and uh, Daniel, could you please have a, as first elder, would you have a closing prayer and a benediction? Let's stand for prayer. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that you sent to work upon our hearts so that we can be a follower of Christ, so that we can steer our lives to your righteousness and your truth to change our characters so that we can qualify to live in heaven with you. Now, Lord, as we continue on in our lives, I ask that we stay close to you. And Father, we all like to thank each person that, that came here from afar today. May they join us for potluck afterward, Lord, and thank you for the food that you give us to nourish our bodies. I ask this all in your name. Amen.